Well, the first thing you have to understand is that things are crypto and then they're currency. And when you put those two things together, it's cryptocurrency. And I'm like, yeah, but that. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering... Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader, consultant, and trusted advisor, and hopefully, along the way, share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come and say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 13th of July. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. Another packed episode this week, Jeff Clark and I continue to chat about planning. I think you'll enjoy this week's guest as I had the pleasure to chat with Kirsten Allegri-Williams, the CMO of Optimizely, and we wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Right. Let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. A welcome back to our regular guest, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester. And this week, we continue to chat about planning. Hi, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO. How are you, my friend? I am great. Thank you for having me back. Of course, of course, you're a regular feature. Well, semi-regular, well, almost regular. <laughs> <laughs> Part of the furniture. <laughs> I, I eat my roughage, so I'm pretty regular. <laughs> but I don't know whether to describe you as a guest or a regular feature, so I guess you're always a guest in, in our Rockstar CMO house. <laughs> I'm a regular guest, yeah. <laughs> so um, last week, so we started this little mini-series about planning, and last week, I really liked what you shared last week. You shared this seven-step plan for planning. And for those of those listeners that didn't listen or um, or would like a recap, what were those seven steps? Sure, and you know they can they can listen to it in detail going back to the previous week's episode. But um, I mean, there you know just real briefly the the steps were you know one aligning your marketing with uh, sales product other the goals of other revenue driving functions. So you want to make sure that you're all in alignment on, on whatever marketing's role in supporting business goals. Um, and then you want to, it, at least the best practice would be to segment your marketing plan by how mm. the company or the business, the organization is looking at its revenue driving functions. So if it looks at it from a, you know, industry segment perspective or a, you know a small medium large enterprise business perspective or however you the business is measured it's best to align your marketing plans with that and and be able to really understand what is marketing's contribution to that so i'm setting goals for marketing that are that are going to contribute to the company reaching revenue goals in those segments and then fourth is to go through the exercise which i think i wanted to do an offshoot of of this part today, which is aligning yeah. your campaign plans with your, with those marketing goals. Yeah. Um, they don't all in the revenue segments, they don't always jive nicely. Um, and so that's something to, you know, to have as an exercise. 
And then um, fifth is determine the key actions that you're doing to adjust from year to year. You know, what are the things you need to do that are new? What are the things you need to do yeah. where you need some work to adjust? What are you not going to do? What are you explicitly saying? We're not doing those things anymore because they don't fit in the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, list your risks and dependencies. So, you know, I'm going to hit these goals as yeah. long as I get whatever funding, staffing, people make decisions, yeah. you know, some other group decides that that uh you know how they're structuring you know sales decides how it's structuring sales in a way that aligns with our overall goals then that's that's going to be a dependency for us and then lastly which you could say it's it's a it's a seventh element or it's just the summation of this the previous six is to try to summarize this all on a piece of paper a slide mm-hmm. whatever it is something short so that you have an easily editable, updatable, and, and socializable <laughs> document <laughs> that uh, you both share with your team. You know, if you're the CMO or the head of the marketing strategy and you can share it with the rest of the team uh, mm-hmm. and have the team contribute to it and build their plans based on that and also share it with your, um, you know, your colleagues and the other functions. It's like, you know, you can go to the head of sales and say, here's the summary of your marketing plan. Yeah. You agree with it at a high level. Right, right, right. So, so, and I, and I enjoyed that conversation. Those, those are the seven steps. And then you just mentioned um, you gave away where you're going to go this time around, then Jeff. So, so we're going to look at cam- the campaign plan. So, right in the middle at step three. So, what's um, yeah? Well, I mean, the, the, your view? The, the challenge, the challenge is that is that um, when you define a campaign, and of course, we could get into the what do, what do we mean by cam- what's what's the terminology, the nomenclature about a campaign, mm-hmm. but but you know what I've often thought of as a campaign. What what I certainly we were instructing the clients at Forrester Serious Decision is that a campaign is something that runs for a long term. So if you've defined an audience that you're driving, you know revenue or you know some other business uh, outcome from, and you've def- defined a lot of the necessary elements. You know who are we talking to? What's the audience? What are their key needs? Well, how do we you know, what are our off, what are we offering those people that meet those key needs? And so, you know, when you've done your work to define that, that can extend out over uh, a planning cycle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it could go on years and years until something changes in the, in the dynamics, whether the market changes, the competition changes, how you serve the needs, you know, you do some innovation that you've got a new way of serving the needs of those clients okay, now it's time to revisit the campaign because a lot of the basic elements have, have, have changed. Um, but if it, if those things haven't changed, then just because mid year we created a campaign doesn't mean that we hit the end of the year, we're going to scrap it and start all over again. It's like, we want to, we want to just follow through and obviously make adjustments. You know, you're supposed, we're supposed to be agile. So we Mm -hmm. need to, we need to adjust as things go on and the planning cycle you know the mm-hmm. of the of, of uh, for your 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 fiscal year is actually a good time to think about what those adjustments are so when you're saying about a long term campaign really it sounds like once you've got that plan in place and and you understand who you're going to target and and what the activities are going to be all you're then doing from that point on is is planning especially in an agile way you're just planning the next thing 
there's going to be an iteration of what you're already right. doing. Yeah. Yeah. From a, yeah, for, yeah, from a explicitly from an agile perspective, you could say, yeah. okay, I need to continue to build my backlog of marketing tactics. And so I'm going to yeah. think about what, what the goals we're trying to hit and how we've been doing in, in hitting those goals and saying, okay, what are the things we need to change? Do you know? And, and this is where, again, the plan is not meant to be either the campaign plan or your marketing plan shouldn't be mm -hmm. a detailed list of this is everything we're going to do over yeah. the next, you know, 12 months, because who knows, you may need to change tactics. It's all of a sudden, maybe one of the key decision makers you've been trying to reach in your campaign is all of a sudden you realize they don't, they don't visit the websites that mm -hmm. you thought they visited, or they don't mm -hmm. read the journals you thought they, or they mm -hmm. don't listen to the podcasters you thought they listened yeah. to. So, oh, okay. Now we've got to change. And so it's really important to, you know, again, from that agile perspective to continue looking ahead, see what's working, what's not working and make your adjustments, uh, you know, as you go. Right. So and then when you were talking about campaigns there, the, what are the assets within the campaign? And you were talking about campaigns and tactics. Are we talking about events, digital, the whole thing yep. when you're the talking whole, about campaigning? The yeah. whole, yeah, because the, because as marketers, you shouldn't be thinking about, and this is where some of the terminology gets gets wonky because you know if in in salesforce or any crm most market automation systems the campaign is the email mm. and in reality marketers shouldn't be thinking about you know what's the success of individual emails or individual mm. events they should be thinking about we're trying to raise you know revenue improve customer satisfaction improve brand awareness reputation whatever it is we're trying to prove that in an audience that we're driving revenue from and we've got lots mm -hmm. of levers to work with and it could be events you know it, it's like whatever levers are working so it could be events it could be email communication it could be you know more digital you know yeah. advertising etc um and um so so you want to think about the whole as a campaign mm -hmm. and not just the individual Who's, tactical pieces so so who's responsible for that in the businesses that, that you've consulted with? Because I've seen a lot of uh, marketing teams that are incredibly siloed from that perspective. So you'll have somebody who does events and they, they're on, I mean, I keep talking about hamster wheels, but they're on the <laughs> hamster wheel of events, aren't they? You know, we're, we're, we're going to do the, I don't know, Gartner Symposium, the forest, yeah. this, that, and the other thing, the content marketing world, whatever it is that they're, they're into. And they're just on, or we always do, you know, this event in, in, in Germany, in their industry. And so they're on that cadence of events that they're familiar with. And then you've got the digital marketers that are creating the campaigns and they're thinking of a campaign exactly as you said, as marketing automation determines that campaigns mean. And then you've got, you know, the, the, the sales guys out in the field and the BDs and all that kind of stuff going on. So who, who in an organization should be bringing that together? Well, so where it has worked best is where there's, um, and you're you're exactly right, is in the in that so much of marketing is is driven from a functional perspective. You know, there's a head head of events, there's a head of digital, there's a head of you know whatever marketing operations, field marketing, yada yada, mm -hmm. and and they tend to think within the context of their silo. But the team, the organizations that have done this well is where they have somebody who is who has purview over all of those functions and um, from the perspective of the campaign. So there was one company I work with that was um, oh, a company is actually out of the U.S., but they they had people th throughout the world and the person who was running 
who was sort of managing the campaign team was in Ireland and they had campaign managers in various countries that had a global focus. Mm -hmm. And, and so what they need to do all the work, a lot of the prep work that, you know, I'll touch on a little bit that helps organize how the campaign should operate globally and then work with all the different teams who are putting their pieces together from the, the, you know, maybe the corporate digital teams and events teams all the way down to the regional teams. Uh, and it is a complex uh, managing, it's a complex function to manage. And the, what was interesting is that the people who were doing this, I mean, they could, they could sit within literally a global campaign team. So, you know, somebody who's a director of global campaigns and they've got a couple of people working for them focused on each of the individual campaigns. Or they could sit in marketing operations if marketing operations had that kind of global coordination yeah. function. Or they could sit in the digital team. Uh, or they could sit in field marketing because there might be a, a substantial global field marketing organization and and um, and so the people who are doing global campaign coordination are sitting there. So, but wherever they sit, their their job is to work cross functionally and even right. across the sales, etc. But so and so, if you've got a team of campaign managers, do, are they then aligned with those segments you talked about about industry, product segments? How do so you then a, split that function out? Yeah, that's the um, that's the 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 matrix exercise that mm-hmm. that you have to go through, which is so if if my if my um, uh, you know my sales team and the and the rest of the business is thinking you know enterprise mid market small medium sized business. Um, I may have a campaign that, um, and, and I have, and maybe I have a differentiated product scent, but it's not that differentiated. Uh, and so I may have a campaign that actually could work across enterprise, medium and small business. Um, but then I may have a unique product for small businesses that is, that is different with a different decision maker, or maybe my decision makers are different as I get to smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. So therefore I might you know, and that different decision maker might have a different persona and a different way they think about the business need. And so therefore that's where I have my unique campaign. Um, and, um, and when you get into, you know, large organizations, uh, in, in just thinking B2B, even the large organizations, you know, like a SAP or an IBM or Microsoft or whatever, then it, you know, it gets extremely complicated to figure out how am I orchestrating global, yeah. Uh, campaigns because I've got lots of different products and lots of different audiences to deal with. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. and it's, it, it's not impossible to do, but it is one of those exercises that in order to have marketing work most effectively in the way it's addressing its customer base and its prospect mm-hmm. base, you need to go through that, that uh, exercise. Right. Right. And, and split that out. So, so that, so that's how, um, so you're advocate. So you have are they called campaign managers or campaign yeah. folks? Global so you've campaign got these campaign manager. folks. Yeah. So you, so you've got somebody who's who's responsible for the campaigns. You're running these things across function events, digital, and all that kind of stuff. And then you're and then you're structuring that team and those folks around the segments, assuming there's differentiation between the segments in terms of the personas and stuff they're trying to address. Yep. yep. Right. Okay. So and then they. Well, well, then the thing is that, it, it, you know, then this is where from um, from 
the planning. So the, so if, mm-hmm. if marketing has done its good job and developing the plan with the seven elements we talked about mm-hmm. before, then the campaign manager needs to think about, okay, in the context of my campaign, I need to understand, okay, what, what are the business goals this campaign is, is designed to impact. Mm-hmm. So now I, I, I'm, I'm sort of extracting from the, larger business goals to the marketing goals to, well, okay, what, what are the goals of the campaign? So is this campaign going to be awareness builder because we're entering a new market? We're doing something new. Uh, is this purely just a you know, demand generation or is this a something about um, improving customer satisfaction because we've got an existing customer base we need to retain revenue from. And, and then, and then, once I understand my goals, I need to look at that, my target audience. And again, if I'm creating it new, it's a little bit different than if I'm just updating. But if I'm mm-hmm. creating this new, I need to think about, okay, what's, what is the audience I'm going to target with mark, my marketing dollars or euros or pounds, whatever, whatever, <laughs> the, whatever the investment is, mm-hmm. who am I going to target? Because, you know, I may be selling a product that has six different decision makers and, and, you know, some of them are, you know, C-level people that, that are somewhere involved in the decision-making process, but they're not necessarily the people that are going to react to my marketing campaigns because either right. I might not be able to get to them or whatever the, or, or they, they come in so late into the buying process that they're really more the responsibility of sales to communicate to than marketing to communicate to. So I prioritize the audiences that I'm going to focus on with my marketing activities and I'm going to select, you know, which is part of the select the personas within this audience that I want to target. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then isolate on the, the buying needs of those people, because now all my messaging, you know, my content, my, my you know, messaging in terms of the themes of the campaign are all around trying to connect on that buying need. Mm-hmm. And then make sure I conduct a, um, and this is, I mean, a really important part of, of, of marketing, developing a, a campaign campaign from marketing perspective is do your portfolio mapping. So right. I've got a, I've got a target audience. I got a persona. I'm developing a theme around these needs. And someone from the product group is going to say, yeah, but what about, what about my, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, cyber uh, endpoint solution. Yeah. And, and, and I, somebody needs to be talking about that. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah that's part of, <laughs> that's part yeah, of the campaign, yeah. but that's not, that's not what's going to grab the attention no. of the buyer. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, now in some cases, going very product oriented may make sense, but typically mm-hmm. when you think about these larger campaigns, the product, when you start the talking features. about the product, and the features yeah. are a little further down in the, in, yeah. the, in the messaging hierarchy, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but you've got to conduct the portfolio mapping because you've got to be able to talk to the rest of the organization and say, okay, hmm. this campaign is focused on this audience. We're intended to drive this, these business yeah. outcomes, this revenue. And by the way, the revenue is going to impact these product offerings. However, yeah. you've described the product yeah. offerings, whether it's explicit product names, solution bundles, you know, yeah. however that's I've, I've um I've I've um put stuff together where I've talked about product proof points so th- this is like not just the features but the value to the customer that the product brings if you like so yeah. try and talk about features in terms of 
um, value and outcomes rather than, you yep. know, it does this in terms of, you know, the, the way the widget works. Um, yeah. But actually, if you're telling a story down the campaign, well, how, what's the promised land the product's going to bring? What are the, what are the, you know, what are the, well, basically what are the benefits? Yeah. And you got to, and you have to be, and, and, and you, it, which you're exactly right, but you have to be pretty precise about the benefits and the proof points mm-hmm. when you're, when you're extracting or abstracting them from what the product actually does, because yeah. you, know, you don't want to be fall into the trap of, <laughs> you know, we're improving customer experience. And, yeah. I, and I remember exactly. the company we used to work at mm-hmm. where we were talking about customer experience yeah. and there's a CRM vendor with the exact same messaging and we're like well we we don't do what they do (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i mean that 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 whole hype cycle around customer experience was a was a wonder to live through because you're absolutely right there was and i think we might have mentioned it on the show before you'd you'd go to an event about customer experience and there was such a diverse group of vendors there all talking about the same value because it's such a high level value prop it wasn't differentiated at all and it wasn't not just differentiated within categories but across categories exactly exactly Um, and then the, the, you know, the last part of this is once you understand you do the product or the, uh, the portfolio mapping is to understand the, the routes to market. And, and, and I think I kind of, uh, inferred this earlier where it's like, you know, if the, one of the reasons to reevaluate your campaigns is because who you're, who you're trying to catch the attention of where they where you find them, you know, sometimes mm. we would call their watering holes, mm-hmm. what message is going to work, uh, those change. And so your routes to market to actually make your campaign successful certainly may change from year to year. Uh, I mean, they may change from quarter to quarter, but <laughs> yeah. when you, when you, when you're, when you're doing this uh, sort of reevaluation of your campaign um, it's, it's good to check. Oh, so are, are my routes to market still that I decided before are they still good? This is where you mm-hmm. decide is that event. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to Gartner symposium because we were trying to be the top leader in our, uh, leader in our category we found out being a leader in the category was not so important with the clients. So mm-hmm. therefore we That's need to do point. something different. Nothing mm-hmm. against Gardner symposium because it's a great event, but mm-hmm. now we need to do something different with that $300,000 that we spent. That's splendid. Which, That's is, which so is not splendid. an inflated figure. <laughs> no, no it could, could be more. So. <laughs> by the time you travel everybody in these days uh, oh, and not that we're all traveling so uh, so that so that's great so that's a model then i think for that step number three around campaign and it looks up to step number two which was to do the segmentation and stuff and of course all yep. of this needs to be aligned with the c-suite so that sounds like a perfect little playbook then for campaigns i didn't miss anything it, there, it's a it's i mean it's a um I mean, I think it's the sort of essential elements that go into campaign mm-hmm. planning and we can, yeah. we can elaborate on either the campaign weeks. planning process in the, in the, the next one or, or talk mm-hmm. about some of the other interesting elements of campaigns, but it's, yeah. uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important a- to do that, that, you know, uh, well, it's various junctures already do to do the review of your plans, and certainly as part of the annual planning process. If your campaigns are moving on into the next mm-hmm. fiscal year, it's time to take a big refresh and see: Are we on the right track? Do we need to make adjustments? Is the company depending more on this campaign than than it did in the past, yeah. or whatever whatever those adjustments are? Well, maybe that's something we need to cover in a future week. And the data that drives these campaigns and how we move 
uh, and whether yep. we should move that that be for future week. And that future week, I understand, my friend, is going to be in a couple of weeks or a few weeks because yeah. you're yep. off hitting the trails again, yep. taking more vacation. What, what I mean, what's it like to be you, mate? <laughs> i'm here in... <laughs> i'll let you know if i when, when and if i get that <laughs> all right mate. well i look forward to having you back on the show in a couple of weeks and we'll carry on with this planning uh topic and conversation um and uh for people that want to spin the dial on the interwebs and find you jeff where are they going to find well, you certainly on linkedin as well as rockstar cmo under the advisory tab yeah, excellent. Thank you very much, Jeff, and I'll see you soon. Yep. Thank you, Jeff. I did promise him more XTC and making plans for Nigel, but I made an executive producer decision, and this is Diana Brown and Barry K. Sharp and their track, The Master Plan. As you heard, Jeff is back off in his travels, so back with us in a couple of weeks. Moving on down the track. And I wanna see you moving Ain't never looking back So young and wild and beautiful So young and wild and free You got a whole lot of loving So express yourself to me On to our guest this week. Kirsten Allegri-Williams is Chief Marketing Officer for Optimizely, a modern digital experience platform that helps you unlock your digital potential. As Optimizely Chief Marketing Officer, Kirsten leads global marketing, communications, and sales development. Prior to Optimizely, Kirsten was the CMO for SAP Success Factors, the world's leading provider of technology solutions for human resources. And her career has included rebranding and relaunching the digital presence of Ariba, another of SAP's global software businesses, and led partnerships with the United Nations to help businesses everywhere forge sustainable supply chains. She is also an advocate for women's equality and empowerment in the workplace. Kirsten has been honoured by many organisations, including Internationalist as a Next 50 top marketer. She is a graduate of Santa Clara University with a BS in political science and BA in music. She received her Master's of Music degree from the Manhattan School of Music in a classical voice and sustains a career as a critically acclaimed mezzo-soprano. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hello, Kirsten. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. And I, I feel very honored to be invited to a Rockstar CMO session. Thank you for having me. No, you're fine. I think we'll get on to the point that I think you deserve to be considered a little <laughs> bit of a rock star. So we'll we'll get to that point in a minute. I've always well, wanted to be a rock star, actually. <laughs> now you're you're tapping into my secret inner passions. It's, it's very clever. <laughs> didn't we all? Didn't we all? And and I think so many of the people I speak to wanted to be rock stars. And I think marketing was the closest we got. So I think that's a good point. Anyway, so Kirsten, um, obviously I did a little intro of you before we before we press record, but um just tell us a little bit about yourself, what your role is at the moment. Thank you. So I am Kirsten Allegri Williams. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Optimizely, and we help brands make sophisticated digital experiences simple. Um, it's uh, it's been a about a year since I joined the company from the former Episerver. 
Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about that because I'm really interested in that story because I know Episeva really well. I've been in the CMS industry for too long. <laughs> and so, um, and I've worked with Episerver. And actually, when I was at McCann, we had a client there that loved the product. And I, I, I'm not saying just because you're on the show, but they love, they love the product. And I thought it was a really interesting move because you guys acquired Optimizely, right? And Correct. then you decided to rebrand. And as a CMO, what was that process? What, what, yeah. what made you make that decision? Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a fascinating year. Mm-hmm. I joined Episerver about a year ago and in the middle of the pandemic, which yep. that in itself is another story. We'll have to rewind on another, another <laughs> chat. But, um, you know, the brief when I joined the company was always that we had a great portfolio of products, leadership mm-hmm. and content management with Episerver, yep. but very little awareness and consideration of our portfolio and specifically in, in growth markets mm-hmm. um, it, it, beyond where our base was in, or, or is in Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, we wanted to be on a fast growth trajectory for the company. And yeah. so, you know, looking at what we were going to do, what strategies we're going to put, put in place mm-hmm. in order to really grow the brand awareness and an overall purchase consideration of our portfolio on my first day, <laughs> at the company, we started our due diligence on the acquisition of Opt- Optimizely. Right. Um, and, you know, I saw that right away as a very unique opportunity for us mm-hmm. to um, put a, a pretty ambitious strategy together on what the acquisition would mean from our overall mm-hmm. um, brand strategy perspective. And you know, the data, we, we went forward and created a very airtight di- uh, business case based on digital insights and, and perceptions of the Episerver brand, the digital brand gravity that Optimizely would gain for us. And the case was very straightforward. Um, wow. We saw that the Optimizely brand was incredibly strong in the growth markets where we wanted to invest, mm-hmm. um, that the Optimizely brand also drew in um, you know, organic keyword search to our portfolio for terms that we really cared about, like content management system, mm-hmm. customer journeys, personalization. Um, and so, you know, all the data pointed in the direction that this would be a very smart move in terms of a reverse brand strategy mm-hmm. to rename uh, the company to Optimizely, to reposition the portfolio beyond experimentation, but also to expand the breadth of the positioning for Optimizely as the leader in digital experience platforms across content, commerce, intelligence, and experimentation. And we have done that very successfully. We um, brought the analysts and the media community with us on the journey. And um, we've seen incredible, incredible results um, when we launched the brand earlier this year. So I'm really proud of the speed that we, we delivered. I think it's amazing. I'm, 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 um, I'm fascinated by this story. I wanted to get onto more about yourself, and I will in a minute. But I love this story because I think it takes a level of bravery to have done that um, because people get so emotionally attached to the brand that they work for and stuff. And I've been through a number of acquisitions, and I've seen organizations where you show up and you think, there's, you know, or you look at somebody's website and you can see that an acquisition has happened, but they're not quite dropping the old name and they're keeping mm-hmm. their hedging. 
but yeah. you made a really bold choice to just go straight for it. And then, yeah. and it's not like Episerver was a, a a brand that had not been in market very long. I mean, it's a very well established yeah. content management brand. Yes. So that's quite a, quite a brave move. But the data pointed to doing it that way. Is that the what? data? The data supported it. Mm-hmm. Um, we also we recognized that this is a new era of digital experience technology that is needed to where we can help brands move from a a place of reacting to consumer demands and actually move into a place where we can help businesses digitally adapt and do it faster in a way that ultimately delivers that seamless customer experience that we all desire and the outcomes of, of sustainable business growth, which are required in our field. So, you know, what I would say um, I have done in this role and in prior roles is take a digital first approach. We are living in, in the digital era and, and to leverage that as a innovation strategy, is, it's, a, it's been a surefire bet, if you will, but an informed bet, bet because of the data and the science behind the strategy. Um, I would, you know, as, as, as other CMOs are listening, you know, really think about that, that digital strategy and what it means for the brand and growth ambitions mm-hmm. for the company. If I had waited, Ian, yeah. even one more quarter to develop that business case. So mm-hmm. bear in mind that business yep. case was developed within three months of my tenure at the company. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had to get board approval on that mm-hmm. direction and once we made the decision, we brought our employees along the, the journey. We informed our customers, our partners. We actually galvanized a lot of support behind the decision before we rebranded. Nice. So actually, by the time we launched the brand in April, there, there was already a lot of support yeah. behind the decision. And, and it allowed us that time to prepare people to um, prepare for any watchouts yeah, um, right. when we launched the brand, and you know that 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 allowed us to have a, a fairly safe execution yeah. with speed. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, and I mean, I must admit, as an observer, I saw a lot of employees like uh, Episerver folks that I've known for for a long time. Just like, yep, yeah, we're optimizing now, and and off they go. And I think if people start posting that, then you know that you've got the hearts and minds of people because, you know, people will go along with your decision, uh, branding decision, but when they, when they post it out on social, you know, that they're, you know, they, they, they've got it, you know, it's such an important point of employee brand advocacy. Yeah. You know, you just, you can't embark on a transformation like this without also bringing all of your influencers and your ecosystem and your people yeah. along with you. It's just so crucial and and now more than ever. Yeah, yeah. No, well, nicely done and nicely pivoted there because I think that what, what I'm what I'm hearing from that is that you chose the brand that was relevant to what you saw as a change happening in the market and then using the data managed to make that transition. And I think so often that sort of acquisition anxiety is more le- driven by people's anxiety within the organization and people don't take that outside in mm-hmm. view they you know mm-hmm. it's pe- people love their brands internally and they hang on and you have these cultural issues unless you handle all those things and deal with it at the time of the acquisition that can just fester and so I think you've done it it sounds like you've done a great job well and and you know we talked before the show a little bit Ian about the pandemic mm-hmm. and um you know what role that played yeah. in 
in the decision making and the strategy of how we implement it. I mean, bear in mind, we embarked on this brand transformation without me meeting anyone Wow. Um, in the company. I knew the CEO, we'd worked together before, which is how I, I joined um, the company. But, you know, my management team, the leadership team, um, I had not met the uh, met anyone really um, at scale within the company. And, you know, as we thought about also the, the operational needs to accelerate the growth of the company, I also really took on board what would happen if we waited yeah. You know, if you think about running two digital properties in yeah. parallel for the CMOs listening who've gone through acquisitions, yeah. that creates an incredible amount of strain on your digital team, mm -hmm. on your content producers. Um, we've gone through a pretty awkward phase over the mm -hmm. you know last nine months as we've embarked on the, tr the on this transition. We're actually moving to one consolidated property mm -hmm. um, in in a couple actually next week. Um, yeah. So we're right in the final um, stage gates of, of delivery on that. But, um, you know, if we had waited any longer on the decision, I also knew that it would just prolong the pressure mm -hmm. on my people yeah. of, of holding together two separate properties. So the, the, um, the strategy was as much about safeguarding the health and wellness of, of my people as much yeah. as it was about the the data and what it, it meant about the brand. Wow, that's incredible. Because I, I mean, I was touching on just a moment ago. I think the the other the other danger, isn't it, when you've got two brands, is that people associate themselves with two brands, and you've got a cultural issue within within your organization, and people identifying as 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 not together but apart. And so I think you've really identified that. And I and I think to make that very quick decision and pull the band aid and get it done is it sounds like it's it's really worked. Um, and, and, and actually, I'm going to have to reshuffle my my um, my question cards here because <laughs> to, to continue on that pandemic thing. I mean, you joined during the pandemic, um, and I I mean, when I started this podcast, this was a this was 73 weeks ago was a was a was a pandemic project. I never thought I'd still be asking yeah. people about that. Well, yeah. what, how did you find the experience, and what do you think you've learned as a leader? You know, managing people and, and joining an organization during the pandemic. I think that one positive that I would share is that it, there's an incredible amount that you can achieve in el eliminating some of the barriers uh, and lines that we draw between life and work. Right. Um, I think that giving people exposure and insight into your home and into your daily lives, I think that that's something that I don't want to lose as things yeah. start hopefully opening up. I, I want to to bring those barriers down to where we don't have to um, cr create those those boundaries yeah. um, and that there's empathy and deep understanding of what is needed in this digital age and, and flexibility is, is paramount. I, I can tell you one story that uh, during the, the acquisition period with Optimizely and, and a an employee actually shared this story with me and, and the nervousness that people felt um, behind the acquisition of meeting the new management team mm -hmm. and, you know, what was this going to be like? And in one of our all hand sessions, um, this was around Thanksgiving in the U.S. last year. So November, we were about a month into the, it was probably just after the acquisition closed. 
And my son, who um, was three at the time, he's four now, <laughs> he comes waddling in in a full turkey costume with, with a headdress that he had made at school. And he comes into my office to show uh-huh. me his turkey. And, you know, I'm here I am on camera yeah. and, you know, we're doing it all hands. And I messaged my CEO and I said, said, Alex, I have a visitor. Is it okay if I bring Jack, yeah. you know, into the, he just, he kind of waves me in, you know, he's like, come on, like bring him in. Yeah. He had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I put Jack on a chair so he could be on the camera and, you know, he gets up and he says, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Gobble, gobble, gobble. (laughs) Just, you know, and anyway, talking with an employee just last week about the story, she said, you know, that really warmed my heart. And she thought, you know, gosh, like this is, this is going to be okay. Like, even though we hadn't met in person, she really appreciated the humanity of that moment. Yeah. Um, and I, those are the things that I, I really hope that yeah. we can, you know, continue to to create in our culture, yeah. um, you know, as, as we build our teams. You're kind of bringing more of yourself to work, aren't you? I mean, it's it's the thing that we've talked about a lot. I think as as managers and leaders is is trying is encouraging people to to bring more of themselves because you're a sum of more than just your work, right? You, you have Mm -hmm. what's going on at home and stuff like that. And we want to tap into that in order to be better workplaces or better managers that we understand. And I think we're, we're now more exposed to the, to more of our life. I mean, it's had a bit of a different effect, hasn't it? In that people are having problems with making that separation from work and home yeah. and they're working longer hours and stuff like that. But I, I like your positive note on that. That's, that's, well, I think, you know, Ian, it really comes from my experience as a cancer survivor. You know, I, I had cancer um, in 2013. I was diagnosed and, um, and, and went back to work in 2014. And that experience you know, changed me forever as a leader. And I think that this, this authenticity, this vulnerability that we need to have in our leadership, um, it's really what drives me, you know, people, my own team, you know, asked me, you know, what's your why? What is your personal why? And, um, you know, I really believe in, in, in safeguarding the health and wellness of, of all of us, because at the end of the day, um, that's, what we have, and it's our relationships that we have with our family, our friends, our coworkers, our communities. I mean, this is really what matters most. And so if I can ensure that, you know, through our technology and the impact we can make, mm-hmm. um, through the way we lead our teams and engage people, if we can help save people time, if we can help people do their jobs better and have a fulfilled you know, life of love and happiness, that's what I wish in the world more than anything. And I'm so driven um, on that mission um, in everything that I do. I love it. I love it. And I had no idea. So that's a really interesting. I've asked about one of my questions so far. Um, and if you've got time, I'm actually going to go long, a little bit longer than what than I normally do with these interviews, because I'm sure that the listeners... <laughs> I'm going to love this meeting you. And I think it's really fascinating. Um, so I had, I did actually want to ask you about the start of your marketing career. What inspired oh, great. you? Oh, great. We'll roll marketing? it back. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. What inspired you to get into your marketing? Because you had this great career with SAP, haven't you? And, you've, you've, yeah. you? and you're doing some great work over at Optimizely. What inspired you in the first place to get into marketing? I'm always curious about that. 
Well, you know, I've always, um, I, gosh, how do I start with this? I got my very first role in technology marketing um, at a startup called Loud Cloud. It was backed, it was founded by Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. Mm -hmm. Um, I had joined the company after coming back from two years in my gap year after college, studying classical uh, voice and opera in Paris, in France. And I joined Loud Cloud um, in my first role. And, you know, I've always been really inspired by the creativity and the intelligence and innovation of this industry. And I actually found that while I'm, and we'll talk about my music background later, but I often found that, you know, technology is actually a very creative field, Mm -hmm. very creative. A lot of the concepts around digital, um, digital tech, very abstract. And as a marketer, how to create, how to take something that is very abstract, that's very difficult to visualize Mm -hmm. and actually um, create a story out of that. And and um, connect how people understand it. It's actually very much an art to do that. Um, and so I've really enjoyed, um, you know, in my career, being able to, you know, create that that marriage between the art and science of of technology. And um, I, I mostly have I've been very inspired by the the people around me because yeah. it's constantly changing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I, I did some developing, and I, um, uh, my career has been in, all, all been in B two B tech, and I feel that's even a creative process. If, if you're making a computer do something or making something appear, and you've got to think about that, that's a creative process. We're in a creative industry yeah. I think, when you're in tech. Yeah, very creative. And and the other thing I would add is, you know, given my experience living abroad in Europe, I've always gravitated towards working in global companies. Yeah. <laughs> where we we are bringing together people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've always had a, an international sensibility of, of how I think about problem solving. Mm-hmm. And I'm always really deeply concerned about um, what's happening in local markets and, you know, how do we make things easier to reach people and connect people around the world, which I think in light of the pandemic, those are also things that I hope we can continue. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of ways, the pandemic has has taken down some of the constraints of international travel of you know even you mm-hmm. and i you know connecting here yeah. um today i think is is really incredibly valuable of how do we galvanize the global community behind you know big topics and challenges we need to solve yeah absolutely and i um yeah absolutely and, and I, I was just thinking about um you know, the, the, the word that's been overused really throughout the pandemic of this empathy. And I was, that was coming to mind when you were talking about um, how you were treating your team and how you felt about um, coming into this. And also, you know, that is and, and how you care about your customers. It, it, it's really coming through. I am really going to try and crack through some of these questions. because there's something else that we just touched on, which I think is fascinating. So we've done the pandemic. That's good. We've done your career. You're a, you're a mezzo-soprano. Uh, does it, is that 
that's current tense, right? You are a mezzo-soprano, yes. Yes. Um, and I think um, you'll be surprised to learn that you're not the first mezzo-soprano that I've actually had on Rockstars. Amazing. <laughs> There's, there, there are many of us out there, which yeah. I'm, I'm excited to hear. Yeah, Elle Michelle Smith, and I would encourage people to go look at that um, interview with her. Um, what parallels do you see between performing and marketing? We talked about wanting to be a rock star. And, I mean, you've performed in front of huge crowds, so you've got closer to being a rock star than most of us, but what would you see yeah. are the parallels? there yeah I think um you know we talked a little bit about the artistry of storytelling right I think that um being able to connect your brand emotionally to your audience Mm -hmm. is something we all aspire to in our strategies um you know we talk a lot in the industry about humanizing the brand yeah. And part of humanizing the brand is also understanding what truly what truly motivates your audience and what inspires your audience and how do you connect and and when you think about experiences we have all had what are some of the the factors of that environment that have allowed you to feel that deep connection and many times it's the arts mm-hmm. it's it's um, painting or poetry or music or dance or, you know, things that, that get to sort of that visceral connection. Yeah. And so I'm always looking for ways of where art and business can coexist in a very natural way, in a way that feels very organic. Um, we launched our new brand momentum video for op- the Optimizely rebrand. And we mm-hmm. actually had an artist um, create artwork inspired by our new brand identity and logo. Yeah. And now the painting hangs in our New York City office. Nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's there's that creativity aspect of of what I think as a as a an uh, an artist I bring to the profession, but also that discipline. Yeah. And opera sing, opera uh, performance, uh, classical uh, music and classical arts, there is absolutely a high degree of technique and discipline. Yeah. And so I think that as we think about large scale transformations that we have to deal with, like a digital um, experience transformation, that requires a high degree of vision and aspiration, yeah. but also discipline on how are you going to bring that vision all the way through to execution and great performance yeah so i think those are some some uh specific parallels yeah yeah and you've got to show up haven't you when you when you when you've got a gig you got to show up whereas i think a lot of us marketers will spend ages fiddling with something trying to make it perfect and you've got to ship you've got to, you've got to show up you've got to do it and that's the performance isn't it that's and, right and also i think that um yeah i really ought to get on but i also um i love the idea of uh, because i think we as marketers have an opportunity to create art you know in 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 the truest sense um, we've got these wonderful budgets. We spend a lot of money on creative. Why why spend that money on rubbish creative that looks like everybody else's? Why not something that actually entertains somebody for a while and provides us with the benefit of, of brand awareness or whatever it is? I mean, you create, you know, some, some brands create great videos, don't they, that actually engage you um, even a little bit, you know, and you, you, you're touching something. I think it's really fascinating. Anyway, I'm going to get to our final question. Um, we have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to hell for all the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil that seem to plague this profession we love. What would you throw in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool? I think I would like, oops, sorry. Let me uh, <laughs> close that out. I think um, 
What I would like to throw into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool mm-hmm. is events as we know it in nice. the past pre-pandemic. I I really and and hopefully this comes through in our interview, Ian. You know, we talk a lot about you know what drives me personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. It is around this concept of 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 time being really the only real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the ultimate equal uh, equilibrium uh, or equalizer. Sorry, yeah. in, in terms of thinking about how how do we spend our time? How can we best spend our time? And I I really believe that you know, as we have seen in our own digital strategy for our company, um, our ability to drive pipeline and growth for the company has not been deterred in in light of the pandemic. When we choose to bring people together physically, I really believe it has to have a deep purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't believe that, um, you know, we can go back to the way things have always been in the past when it comes to um, how we have delivered events physically yeah. um, as an industry. And I think a lot about the impact on, on climate change as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You know, I mean, as an industry, I think we owe it to our community to really think hard about how we bring people together mm-hmm. and in what way and what impact does that have on our um, communities, on the environment. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something that we'll see more mm-hmm. about in creating sustainable change in the industry. Um, you know, how and when do you apply digital first strategies and then when is it very important to bring people physically together and that that has intention and, um, you know, purpose? Mm. I love it. Yeah. So events as we know them go in, into our swimming pool. Um, and I could carry on talking to you for the rest of the afternoon. And I know from that outlook reminder that just punctuated us just now we haven't got all day so we have to carry on um, it's very natural that was a very natural moment in the interview <laughs> I, um, I like, the world we're living in <laughs> yeah I mean I heard a, I heard a podcast and Seth Godin was talking about the change in the office a very similar thing is that we need we're going to be more pers- purposeful about when we meet and what these things are for what is the what's the office for what are events for and all that so I could talk that talk to you about that for ages but I won't and I will be disciplined. And I will simply ask you, um, when our listeners uh, spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Well, the, and anyone can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I do use my full uh, name, Kirsten Allegri Williams. I couldn't drop the Allegri as an opera singer. I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Italian. You know, I couldn't ever uh, leave that behind uh, when I got married. But um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also uh, hear more about Optimizely mm-hmm. on optimizely.com. Uh, I really uh, I would love your feedback as well. Yeah, splendid. Well, thank you very much, Kirsten. And um, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you again very soon. I, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Um, thank you very much and, and see you soon. See you soon. Likewise, uh, Ian, thanks for having me. Thank you, Kirsten. Went a little bit long there, and I'm glad Kirsten was able to indulge me for a little bit of extra time. A really good insight into an acquisition and a fascinating conversation with a talented marketing leader. I will, of course, include all her links in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, and the Rockstar CMO, 
virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. I uh, it's it's good to be with you. Um, you know, end of the week and all of that, and I'm tempted to uh, crawl out of my little crawl space here and <laughs> make all kinds of noise. But I'll 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 I'll, I'll maybe maybe withhold that um, luckily, this week. Luckily, the bar is quiet this week, and there's no yes, rest. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's not the way you're supposed to do improv. The improv is supposed to be yes and. You're supposed to keep it going. But you oh. shut that down rather well. I, I <laughs> don't well, like, like to make yes. extra work for you in post-production. That is for sure. Don't ruin the illusion. Here we are. Let's <laughs> virtual bar. The pianist over yeah. there. I think that's that's uh, that's it's nice and peaceful this evening. So, um, <laughs> what is yeah, it? We do we have a drink. Thinking? We do actually yes. have a drink uh, mm. this this week um so this one is a is as fancy as it gets. i mean i figured it, it's it's summertime it's the depth of summer <clears throat> we needed something cool and actually very fancy i was feeling very fancy yeah. this week uh and so this is a champagne cocktail uh and so it needs a, a little real a, a good champagne a nice <laughs> champagne um and so I'll let you, you know, obviously that's going to, that means French. Um, so mm -hmm. um, an actual champagne would be good here. Yeah. Um, although you could probably do this with a, um, uh, with a Prosecco as well if you wanted to. But I think champagne probably would make the best. But you start with a champagne and then you're going to add, <clears throat> then probably you want to do this in a shaker mm -hmm. because it's going to make a couple of uh, servings here for you. Uh, and so you start with champagne and then you add an ounce of your favorite uh, vodka. Um, and then you add a little bit of a dash, maybe half an ounce. I'm going to you know, so if it's, if, you know, if it's one part champagne uh, or two parts champagne rather, and then one part vodka, you might maybe want to add maybe a quarter of a part or half a part of uh, cognac. Oh. And then balance it off with a little bit of grape juice. Uh -huh. And... And then basically you've got yourself um, the world, right? You've got it all, you know, you've got yeah. a little Russia in there. You've got a little France in there. You've got a little, uh, you know, just the, the entirety of the world in there. And mm -hmm. um, that's what we like to call this. And, um, and so, yeah, and it becomes a very refreshing little, very fancy uh, wow. drink. And, and, uh, and depending on your cognac or your, uh, your champagne, a very expensive drink as well. Yeah, I've never come across such a such a thing. And I remember you saying that you don't really like champagne, so presumably that's why you like throwing stuff in it, right? Yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> correct. Yeah, that's that that is correct. And and I do like prosecco on its own better than I do yeah. champagne. But yeah. um, but this uh, this feels like you need the extra bubbles. Well, let's see if I can uh, rustle up some fancy on my um, or the world on my. Um, uh, um, from my desktop bar, so let's see. Let's see what I have. Well, I'm going to start off in uh, in England with some. Uh, <laughs> I am in England. Yep, with some <laughs> Hendrix gin. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any champagne or cognac 
or um, or even vodka. <laughs> Let's stick some gin in there. Um, oh, uh, then we're going flinging ourselves far afield here with some. Uh, I can't open this uh, with some. It doesn't matter. Nobody can see that. I can't open it. Try to open this bottle of tonic. Uh, with some Indian tonic water here. So that's from uh, Ooh, from far right. away, right? Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. uh, pour some of that. That's not champagne, but it will do. Oh, it's, fu- it's fizzy, though. It's fizzy. Yeah, it is fizzy. Oh, uh, oh dear. Dennis is going to be crazy, our regular listener. Because I forgot to ask you, did you put ice in there? I know there is no ice in this drink, although I can hear you've put ice in yours. So, um, <laughs> yes. You can't yes. fix that in post-production. But, um, yes. Yes, yes, I have. Well, I can't really fix it in um, the fact that really, if, it's, if I'm going to make uh, uh, the world out of gin and tonic. <laughs> <You> probably <laughs> should put some ice in it. That is correct. Mm. Let me taste that. That is delicious, Robert. I very much like that, and I like to be classy, so that's that's very decent. And we're calling that the world this week, are we? Yes, that's what I thought. Very, very nice. And what are we celebrating with such a fine drink? And where are we? Well, you know, I, I think we're just celebrating summertime and some, you know, relaxation. You know, I would, I would, I, the reason I felt fancy is because, you know, this whole you know, where we are with the pandemic and everything feels a little frustrating at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I thought, you know, it's, it's time to sort of step things up a little bit and be a little, uh, you know, be, you know, sort of let's bring in the future a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in, you know, let's bring in the new. Um, and so it's a little bit of a new year celebration, I guess, in the middle of summer. Um, and, you know, I think we, for, for where we are, I think we have to look to what I think is probably the fanciest city um, mm-hmm. that I know of. I mean, Paris ranks right up there, of course, in terms mm-hmm. of fancy cities. Um, but um, Geneva, I think, is, oh. is, is, is really one of the fanciest cities I've ever been to. Yeah. So I think we have to go to, and it's just beautiful this time of year, I believe, in yeah. Geneva. Um, and so, but most I think of the time, have, isn't it? I mean, it's beautiful in the winter, in the summer, at any time, isn't it? Geneva just eats. oh, it's just a gorgeous place. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. an absolutely gorgeous place. So I think we're sitting outside in a you know some wonderful, beautiful, scenic cafe in Geneva and, and enjoying these Champagne World cocktails. Wow! I think that if we're doing that with this particular drink. We've, we'd have got, we're, we're doing pretty well for ourselves there, aren't yes, we? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. We've got lots of money in our pockets if we're doing that. Yeah, exactly. Because Geneva's not cheap. That is for we, sure. We are living our best life. That is right. That is correct. I love that. And I forgot to mention, actually, I could drink these every week, by the way. So uh, I, I I, I'm that. sure you could. I'm sure. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you what? could. Because, uh, with you know, living your best life with all that money in your pocket, you can mm-hmm. afford the... Yeah, Ooh, well, you don't cool. become well when you when you become a rock star CMO, then you know there's the trappings of the. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're sitting in this beautiful place, Geneva, and we're sipping these these wonderful drinks, uh, and uh, we've 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 exhausted all the wonderful topics that we normally talk about about culture and art and all that good stuff, and we we slip into a conversation about marketing. Uh, what would we be talking about this week, Robert? You know, it's something that is on my mind. Um, it has been for a couple of uh, a couple of weeks now, which is an interesting challenge that we have in marketing these days. 
in that we know what something is, but we don't really know how it works. Um, and I was, and, and here's the reason I was thinking of it. I had a, I had a client who his CMO asked him and said, you know, okay, tell me how this content marketing thing works. Yeah. And he didn't have a good answer because he started like we would normally do. And it's like, ah, my CMO doesn't understand what content marketing is. And so he went to the tried and true CMI, you know, definition and said something to the effect of, you know, content marketing is a strategic marketing approach focused on creating and the CMO cuts him off and said, no, 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 no. I know what it is. I've read what it is. I've seen the definitions. I want you to tell me how it works. Right. And he couldn't really explain how it works. Um, and it's a funny thing. There's a there's a word for it actually that I've 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 discovered in my research here that the scientists call this the illusion of explanatory depth, mm-hmm. which means we kind of go through life knowing how things that just sort of assuming we know how things work, but we really don't know how they work. Right. That and great example of this is, you know, how would you explain to a child how a zipper works? Right. And you know, it's like, well, I just know that it works. So you, you zip it and it's closed and you unzip it and it's open. It's like, yeah, but how does that work? And and by the way, if you Google that, you will get a very unsatisfying answer. In terms of <laughs> how They'll tell you how it works, but it's not for a child. You, you right. can't, you know, you know, something about teeth and pressure and, you know, there's a whole thing about it. Um, yeah. But, you know, another one is like, you know, tell me how tides work. And you go, oh, well, tides are because of the moon. It's like, yeah, but why are there two every day? If the moon only circles us once, why is there two? And you're like, I don't know. And why is it every 12 and a half hours, not every 12 hours? Because if there's 24 hours in a day, shouldn't it be equal? And mm-hmm. all, so all of those things are, they're things that we know, but mm-hmm. they're not things that we can explain how they work. And that's that illusion of explanatory depth. And right. interestingly, what I have found is, is that, you know, there's that great saying of if you want to know something, learn how to teach it. And yeah. and I think that's the critical thing here. And so what I ended up giving the advice to my uh, colleague on who was trying to explain, I said, how would you teach it? You'd ha- If you had to go out and teach how content marketing works, like all of the me- mechanisms, go out and look at that and then you'll understand how to answer that question. And it's really not just content marketing. It's really anything in marketing. It's measurement. It's, you know, it's um, looking at storytelling. It's looking at creating brand value. It, we kind of know it, but we don't really know how it works. Yeah. And so a good exercise for us, no matter where we are in our career, is to sort of go out and learn how to teach it, right? So learn how to teach something. And that way we'll ultimately be able to explain to our boss or to a colleague Here's how it works. Yeah, I've um, I've actually heard this um, in terms of you know you know me I, I like my marketing books and I'm interested in marketing authors, and I've actually heard this about um, that's what's inspired some people to write their books is because they wanted to understand the topic almost they were taking themselves on the journey that they wanted their reader to do which is interesting that's the advice you gave to your client basically wasn't it was how would you teach somebody else which is what a book is isn't it and. Uh, so that's really interesting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's it has what has served me well anyway mm-hmm. is you know 
I mean, I'm a fan of the classics, right? So I, I, I'm, you know, when I geek out on some concept, like, you know, and especially when something new comes along, right? So my first instinct these days is when something new, like artificial intelligence or, you know, or, uh, you know, cryptocurrency or, you know, anything that comes along where it seems easy enough to look at and, and know what it is, but to know how it works. My first instinct is go back, right? Go back in time, go back in history and look at the thing that it's innovating against, right? And figure out how that works. And if you can do that, right? So for example, in marketing, one of my favorite things to do is to go back into old, I mean, I've got a stack of them on my bookshelf here is to literally go back and look at old marketing textbooks and see how it worked back then. Because usually how it worked back then, and if you can teach that, well, then you can understand the newness of the thing, right? Yeah. In other words, I can really start to see the context of how the new thing is affecting how, not just what it is, but how it actually works in the world. Yeah. I think that's one of the strong cases people make about uh, marketers should have an education, right, in marketing and, and, and that it should be taken seriously as a profession because... There is that, you know, and you've recommended books to me before. And, and um, you know, I mean, how often do we mention marketing myopia? How often? I mean, on a, right. on a, on a monthly, quarterly at least basis, right? Whether, and, you, and you mention it sometimes on your podcast. I mention it here from time to time. And things like that are just like those cornerstones, aren't they? And you, you, if you learn the classics, then you can have a, you know, then you can see like a tactic or a new piece of hype or something for what it is, right? Yeah, that's right. You can see, yeah. you know, you, you sort of see behind the curtain, you know yeah. what I mean? And you can, and and it gives you, I find, a unique insight into, um, you know, the mechanics of something and how something really works so that you can explain it, right? So that yeah. you can, you can, you know, you can start to pull from, you know, the appropriate metaphors and all that kind of stuff. So if you have to explain it to someone like they're five, yeah. you can, you can do that, right? You don't have to use jargon. You don't have to use, um, you know, you don't have to explain the thing with the thing, which is, you know, <laughs> which is always, you know, when somebody tries to explain to me, for example, cryptocurrency, it's like, well, the first thing you have to understand is that things are crypto and then they're currency. And then when you put those two things together, it's cryptocurrency. And I'm like, yeah, but that you're using the thing to explain the thing, you know, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's wonderful. So, um, and, and also I think, um, it takes a bit of retrospective or introspection or whatever the inspection is, is to look, is to stand back and look at the thing and think like that, right? Is that, that, that we need to look at how these things work. Like you say, until the boss comes along and says, how does that work? Then you don't, you know, really, you should have thought about this before kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good practice. Yeah, ideally, I, yeah. ideally. Yeah. I mean, there's things that you're going to get surprised with, you know, yeah. all the time. I mean, my, my <laughs> You know, just the other day, my wife asked me about um, ad targeting, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's something that we walk around with as marketers. We go, oh, yeah, I understand ad targeting. You yeah. go to Facebook and all of a sudden you see an ad everywhere, right? Yeah. Or you go to their website and all of a sudden you see an ad on Facebook. I get it, yeah. right? That's explaining the thing with the thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and 
and and she and and she asked me. She said, "How does this ad targeting thing work? How does that? What happens?" And I'm like, uh, um, "Well, yeah. you see, there's a thing called a cookie." And 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 she's like, "No, no, no, you you lost me." Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but there's a, you know, and trying to explain the thing without using the thing is yeah. is. It was really hard, and I, I realized that I didn't really understand how it all worked. Yeah, I love and so I went and looked and yeah. researched it and and figured it out that how it actually you know how it actually works, so I could explain it to her. And by then, she was bored with it and wanted <laughs> out anyway. So yeah. I remember you tweeted about it, and I was I just thought it was <laughs> it was brilliant uh, because I have the same reaction on many many topics here in my house. <laughs> I thought that was excellent. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, that's fantastic. But when you are on your flow and you've done your research and you're teaching your thing, where can people find such teachings, Robert? Oh, you can usually find me on my little, uh, um, you know, my little hovel, uh-huh. uh, my little cave, <laughs> my little nest on the internet, um, which is contentadvisory.net. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I've seen, and, and there's some fresh content there, so I recommend people popping along. And when they um, spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Um, you'll find me on all of the, the social media except for the stupid clubhouse. Um, and um, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn most primarily. So those and Twitter making a comeback, I'm happy to say. And yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying Twitter a lot more these days. Oh, jolly good. Yes. And um, so, so the, the stupid clubhouse, it now becomes <laughs> <That's> fantastic. <laughs> all right, mate. Well, right, I'll see exactly. you in the next week. You will indeed. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. There we are, the illusion of explanatory depth. And I don't know about you, if you've had that experience of explaining your work to a loved one, but that made me laugh. So that's a wrap on episode 73 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Kirsten, Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them to share with us their insights. So please check out their work. You can find all their details in the show notes, in your favorite podcatcher, and at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. Let me know what you think. Get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, or please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcatcher. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I chat about SEO with Steve Weidman, founder of the Weidman Consulting Group. As Jeff is away, I'll share a marketing thought and I'll no doubt find Robert Rose, the Rockstar CMO, virtual. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her.
Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.